Well, it's good to see you guys. Um, I'm really, I'm really excited to, t- to share this morning. Um, things are, things are good. I want to give you updates on us. Our youngest baby is taking little steps, so she'll like stand up and like take a step or two, which is means I'm getting that much closer to all five of them walking right out of the house into college, right? Like we're <laughs> we're almost there, right? Is that optimistic? Not even close. <laughs> Not even close, but we're all doing good. The family's healthy and good. That's the biggest thing for us is that we're all we're all back in school and doing good. And how, where are we at in the school cycle for Cal right now? Is are we in a semester? Spring spring break. Okay. All right, spring break. So you guys got a little breather. That is good. Yeah. And then when do you start? Just next week, or you got a couple weeks off? No, you have. Yeah, it's slower. Yeah, that's good. That's awesome. Wow. Well, I'm I'm really I'm really excited about what we're talking about. We're talking about worship, and we're going to start in on week two, and we're going to try to pick up a little bit on where we left off last week. Um, I just want I want you guys to know it's going really well. I have, I, gotta, I have to talk about this for a minute. It's going really well here as a family, like as a group. It's going really, really well. I think it's, I think it, God this morning during worship was, was just talking to me about like how special it is when individuals, but then he was talking to me about the whole group because he's really talking to me about like us he said, it's how special it is when individuals turn their hearts to him. You go, well, that's, that sounds simple. But that idea of turning your heart to God in the middle of your life that he's given you. He's given you a lot of, of responsibility. He's given you a lot of like energy and dreams. And, and there's a lot packed into this little package that we've got, you know, 200 and 15 pounds over here. You guys might be a little bit smaller than that, but like, that's a still a small package as it relates to this big earth, right? And there's a lot in there, and there's a lot that wants to come out, and there's a lot of expectation and a lot of ambition at times, sometimes not healthy, but there's just a lot of energy in us, right? And so oftentimes we're, we, we get in this mode of we, we don't know why we're restless, but we're really anxious to achieve something that fulfills us. You know, it's whether it's career or family, usually we just don't know. Usually we're just kind of, we're a big ball of energy, like wanting more, and we don't know what we want more of. And it's really healthy and really good when we get around God and we realize, wow, a huge part of this, maybe most if not all of it, is just wanting more depth of connection with him and fulfillment like with him in life. But it takes a real turn, a turning of all of who we are towards him, a looking up, like a a pausing and looking up, and it's almost like a reorientation of everything that we are towards him to where we're, we're fixed on him, to where we can really, really understand that, oh, this... This motor, this engine, is actually designed to be steered towards him. Like this whole vehicle is supposed to go towards him. 
it's not necessarily just supposed to kind of go spread out throughout the earth and like make the biggest, like if you're a sickle, like in a hay field, like you're not, make the biggest cut, right? And my biggest imprint in my whole life. That's, there's fulfillment in that and it's good, but it's not the fullest version. And so I, when he, when he talks to us in worship and he says, it's really beautiful to see a people whose hearts are turned towards him. He's acknowledging that there's, a, there's, a, there's an awareness of him at a more profound level than just knowledge of God as being the right way. There's a turning of heart towards him that is spiritual but sincere and real. And it's something that he pauses to observe. Um, that's what he was doing this morning with us. He was pausing, and I saw angels kind of throughout the Bay Area turning. They're on assignment in different places, but they were turning to see what was happening here. Every time we see it in the Bible, I guess I'm starting my message. Are you good back there? Is it, are we, okay, good. We, we missed last week, I think. I think. Did, it, did it get resurrected, Michael? Did we fix it? No, it died. Okay. All right, we tried to resurrect the sermon last week, but it, it yeah. Just, just listen to soaps from the previous week two times. It'll be fine. Uh, it, it was good. Um, so we're kind of, we're starting. But when, they, when I saw the angel over, he was over the city, and he turned and looked and saw what was happening here, God then said, it's going really well. It's going really well. And I, when he speaks to us that way, it's really smart for us to slow down and think about what he's saying. <laughs> like, Okay, what does that mean? And my response was, it's, it's hard at times, God, to fully feel and agree with things that are happening in the spirit realm as being enough. Because I'm really wired for the natural. And I'm trying to not just see and hear in the spiritual as a complement to my natural experience. I'm trying for the spiritual to be a higher value and a first priority over the natural, to where it's not, it's not the spiritual matters to me if it affects my, my natural. It's really valuable to me that God approves and, and, and the spirit realm is something I value as long as it means I get food on my table and it translates to something in my career or my family dream life, right? I think so often in our immaturity we can, we can we can turn to God and look to God, be in awe for moments or enamored by or, or excited by, but we're always in our immaturity trying to pull what we apprehend into our present and say, that's amazing, it must manifest here, otherwise I don't appreciate it. It's not enough for me. I think when Abraham like left everything and stayed out there, he was he had broken this this bond of my understanding and my reality trumps the spiritual. He had actually stepped into a new paradigm where it was like what God says is good is better than all that I could ever see. Or understand. And so God says it's going really well here. 
it's going really well in you here. And I, and I want to fuel the spirit side of you so much that it catches on fire to where the spirit side of you takes precedence and priority over all things in your life to where you can follow him into anything like Abraham followed him into without regard for what you perceive to be the natural impact or effect of this path he's leading you down. Because it's when we can abandon our perception for, as to what needs to happen for it to be good. And we can say God is good and what he says needs to happen is good. And I'm willing, therefore, to go with him down any path. I can go anywhere. I don't care what my degree was. I can go over here. I don't care what my career background was. I can now go over here. I don't care what color hair I wanted my spouse to have. I can go with this guy. <laughs> you can reorient, like, your whole understanding of what's of worth because you're maturing in your heart around what's of true value. And so when God says what's happening here is good, we must turn our hearts in agreement and go, God, I want to agree with you wholeheartedly, and I want anything that's in me that's speaking out against this moment or asking why isn't it this way, I need to be the one that changes. I need to silence that and embrace Jesus in my moment. And I need to turn with greater affection towards him, not to pull him down. And there's a beauty in bringing heaven to earth, right? That, that, that whole concept, we're all for it. I'm all for it. We're, we're supposed to bring the kingdom come here to earth. However, I think there, there has to be a first engagement where it's, I'm actually understanding what heaven is, what its values are, who he is. I'm embracing that at the expense of all of my preconceived ideas about who I was supposed to be and where the way this was supposed to go and I'm going to say yes God you are good please help me shed the robes that I put on and sewed for myself and let me just put on the ones that you tell me are good for me to wear in this season and so I just want to encourage you guys I know that many of you are in a normal cycle of life where it's you, you're here, you have visions of being here, and you're somewhere in between. And oftentimes these are God-birthed visions, and so there's this constant turmoil of how do, I, how do I move through this arc into that thing that I had dreamt of with God. I'll tell you, I think it's a full embrace of the moment and who he is. And it's actually daily surrendering that vision, even though it was his we can meditate on the good things that he has promised. It's better to be present with him and connected to him as a priority overall. And so I feel like in a, in a, in a really beautiful way, we as a family are, are increasingly present in our worship and celebration and expectation with God. And so he endorses what you're after and what you're doing. And I just want to encourage you guys, like, it matters. It matters when you come to pray. He likes that time. He really does. There's no fireworks. There's not a lot going on that's like, you know, the, the, the building hasn't like shook yet. There's not fire yet. We don't know. We don't know, but there's something in heaven that's turning 
as we're turning in agreement with what he's doing. And if heaven's turning our way, it's really interesting, and we should, we should I think, increasingly get excited about what's coming. Because when they turn, there's a lot that can happen. And so when we prayed earlier and we said that there's nothing that can't happen in his presence, we know that it requires heaven's intervention for things like healings, miracles, deliverance. It, it, frankly, it requires heaven's intervention for me to, like, change my mind. <laughs> like, just make it real simple. It's like Vince is going to, like, if nothing changes in my life, I'm going to go in a straight line into, in, in this way. It's just how we are. Like, we think we're brilliant and, and nuanced, and we can, we can dance all over and, like, react to all these life circumstances with such wisdom and grace. But in truth, we're only at the level that God's intervention and grace has allowed us to be. And so the insight that we gain by walking with the Lord is the thing that will really transform our lives. We have to die. The flesh dies. The way we think and the way we, we anticipate God and act with God. It changes because of our engagement with him. It's not because we're so good. And so as we're inviting his presence, we're actually inviting him to change the way we think about what we're doing right now in our life. Change the way we prioritize our time and our money and our energy. And let me more and more just calm down with all the things I think should come. Let me celebrate the things that God has already done. But more, more than anything, let me turn my heart to him and get in really, really, really aggressive obedience and, and commitment to him and his priority as being the highest and the best. And I think we're off to the races on that. I think we are. I sincerely think we are. I think you are. I think it's going much better than anyone would ever tell you it's going. Because I think heaven is like standing right behind you going, oh, I'm so proud of this one. This is going so, so good. And they're seeing you and they're seeing the generations after you and they're like, it's working. It's working. So with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about worship because I think it's all part of it. It's about like how do I orient myself in the biblical way, in God's way, to truly expressing my appreciation for God in a way that's commensurate or in line with what's actually happening in my life. And so we're going to look at two things. We're going we're gonna to take a piece of that Samuel story that we, we actually read last week. I'm going to comment on one thing there, and we're going to look at Psalms 33. So let's start with the Samuel piece. I think I've got it all on slides this morning. David, David Psalms 33. Okay, let's go to the next one. You guys good? You okay? Okay. I wanted to show you this cool picture. This is a rendering of the Ark of the Covenant. So all those pieces in the Moses Tabernacle. This is the thing that represented God's presence. This is the thing, or something like this, really close to something like this, that David brought back from captivity. And remember, Uzzah reached out, and he died because he touched this. And then they came back in. So I thought it would be interesting just to have a, a, a visual. It's all gold. It's, it's completely covered in gold and made out of a certain kind of wood. Um, in and of itself, it's beautiful. But it was the, God's presence that made this thing other and different. And so this was worth going back after. It wasn't just a gold box with the Ten Commandments in it and... 
Maybe someone's bones? No? No? I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. They've given me a really hard time because I got that wrong. We have like our biblical scholar zone over here. They, they're, my, they're my fact checker. <laughs> um, we, had the temp, we had the tablets in there. And so it wasn't those things, though. though while those are really beautiful, like memory pieces of like God designed these things, it wasn't this item. It wasn't the value of, of dollars that this thing was worth. It was the presence of God that David was getting and bringing back home. All right, let's go to, this. Let's go to the scripture. Okay, so 2 Samuel 6, 14 and 15. You get, we, we did this whole story. We talked about the ephod last time, how righteousness was what he was clothed with the second time around that allowed him to bring God's presence back. But I didn't want to gloss over the first part of this because the first part of this is a really important piece for all of us to understand. And I want, to, I want to make it kind of a, I'm lobbing a challenge out there for all of you, that everything we see in the Bible is there with intention, it's there particularly when it's our forefathers, foremothers, however you want to see it, these people that, that achieved connection with God in a way where God endorsed them for multiple generations, they were doing something different that allowed them to stand out to God and cause God to act on their behalf and their favor for their lifetime and many times for multiple generations after them. David is one of the most celebrated for a lot of reasons. But if you, if you spend time in the Bible watching David's patterns in his life, there was many like David who were brave and went to war for God. Physical violence to go take territory. There was many in the Old Testament. That wasn't his, his, his distinctive that set him apart, that made God say, I want to bless you for multiple generations, okay? So, so often, often we think about like our life and our, our walk with God and we think, what would it take for me to be the ultra version of me, the most, like, most superhero expression of Vince? Oftentimes, we're thinking in natural terms. In the Old Testament, it was warrior terms. It was conquest and conquer. It was courage and bravery, fortitude. All of these things are good qualities. He was so courageous, so wild in his, his life. He had 400 men with him, following him around in the wilderness, running from the king of, of uh, Israel at that time, Saul. He wavered in his heart a lot, but he was courageous to stay on track. There's this whole story of this amazing kingdom that's established under him because of his courage and bravery. I would encourage you guys to consider that and be inspired by that, but I'd also encourage you guys to think for a moment, that wasn't the thing that established him in the, in the halls of history in God's view, because there were many like him before that. The thing that did it was this worship and heart that was underneath the surface of all of David's experiences in life. And you say, well, how can I be of substance and of worth in the kingdom of God? Let's look at David. Let's understand that you didn't have to be a warrior. You had to be someone whose heart was solely focused and absolutely relentless in its pursuit of God. You and your life, whether you have 50 or 
80 years left or however many years you want to give yourself. Anybody got 120 in here? Is anyone going for, okay, I got 120 in the back, 80? Anyone going for 80? <laughs> 70? You guys, you guys like wanting to give up at 40? What's going on here? I got, no, I got nothing. Everyone's like, I'm out. I'm ready to, I want to go home. You guys are so <laughs> um, You are actually designed to change all of the people and, and life in the arenas God has designed you to be in. It doesn't come because you're this perfected sculpture of, of like great strength and awesome courage and you're a warrior. I think that's the exception. Where it comes is if you have this heart that connects with God at a, at a really profound level. That is the thing he's designed in all of us. If we're able to understand that as a foundation and we don't compare ourselves to the people in our culture that are most successful, we have a much better chance of actually accomplishing and becoming the person that we're supposed to be. I think so often we disqualify ourselves right out the gate because we're not like a six foot four quarterback and prom king or queen and perfect grades and scholarship valedictorian and sponsored by Nike because everyone wants me to be their influence. Like I don't, You have your whole list of people you remember growing up where you're like, well, that was the most successful person in my high school. That was the strongest mind in my science class. That was the, the most brilliant teacher I ever had. Like th Those were the ones who they're really, really qualified in the fields that I value. And so often we just get these points of reference and we go, well, then where do I fit in? Because I have the same passion and vision for that track, right? And we have like, and God, God designed. And so often it's a mistake because our, our value system our priority for what matters is actually different than God's, fundamentally different than God's. It's a learned value system that we, we, we achieve, like we're given here. And God's whole intention from us from the beginning was to make connection with him in great places of faith and for him to rewrite our story from his heavenly perspective. David wasn't chosen because he was the strongest and tallest. Remember, he was the shortest and kind of this ruddy, redhead kid that they left out in the field. He didn't qualify in the natural terms as it related to his family, even. His family's dad was going to pick all of his brothers before him and say, this is the one. Any of them, any of them will work. David was totally disqualified in the natural. There was something else going on in him, and he learned over time that he had strength and he had ability, but it was discovered in these quiet places with the Lord. So that's you. I'm going to simplify this whole piece of this. That's you. You're like that. And you should never disqualify yourself from unbelievable, almost unimaginable impact because you don't think you have the same skill set or equipping as somebody else. I'll just remind you again, if you're empowered by heaven, if angels are behind you, beside you, before you, in front of you, working with you, you could be the smallest, weakest version of humanity, but you can move mountains with that team. And that's the team that got behind David. And that's the team that I want you to understand. They're watching you when you worship. And they're waiting for that version of you that's courageous, in heaven, not in self. 
they're looking and they're saying, this one believes. They actually believe. They're sincere in their worship towards God. They, they have all these things going on, but there's strength. There's this little atomic like energy system of, of faith in that one. That's who we should go endorse and get behind. Let's start getting them promoted at their jobs so they lead more people. Let's start giving them more money so they can influence more people. Let's start giving them more anointing so they can transform more people. It's all heaven's endorsement and heaven's backing that can change your outcomes. And it's really starting to happen for you. And it's working. Never disqualify yourself. Never be like David's dad when you're looking in the mirror and go, I wish I was, you know, brother six, seven, five, four, three, two, one. Like this quality, that quality. I wish I was more of this. I wish I was more of that. It's a completely unfruitful exercise. So he's already endorsed you. He's excited about you. So let's look at a few things with David. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. So the linen ephod, we said this, it speaks of righteousness, robe of righteousness. You guys have heard that phrase in the New Testament. All of it connects to the Old Testament concept of the, the white, pure linen that the priests put on. It symbolized righteousness, being clothed in righteousness. All right, David puts this on. He dances before the Lord with all his might. Why does he dance? Why is that part of this? I don't know. What? Maybe. Maybe. I, I, I'm just, just think about like us for a moment. Like Dancing is the weirdest thing. Like It's just a very odd thing. Like Why does that activity... What is, what, like, where does it come from? My kids do it, like, at the age of one. Like, my little baby back there, you turn music on, she'll start bouncing around. It's a very, like, natural reaction to things that are joyful in their lives. We don't teach them how to dance. They eventually start learning and paying attention to TV and stuff. Sophia teaches them all her dances. She could, she knows them all. Don't let her fool you. She's a very good dancer. She's very... Very enjoyable to watch with all of her dances. It's very entertaining. I am not a dancer. But it's something you can like, you can really learn all the dancing stuff. But it's something that's just pre-wired into us as a kid. As a human, I would say, that a, a normal or natural response to joy is dancing. David could have done a lot of different things in, in ushering the ark back. Like they take six steps. It says he danced before the ark the whole way back. So much so that like all the people of Israel saw. Remember this, the, you follow on and his wife said this is embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I thought about talking at length about that. But I actually think it's to highlight her choice. To highlight her background which you think about Saul, you think about the dysfunction that was in that family line, um, is to highlight the wrong thing here. Her spirit was bad. It was not in a good place. And so she came with eyes of judgment on what David was doing. That's easy. We all get that. You guys get it. If you look at somebody who's celebrating and worshiping God and you're critical, that's a real huge, like, flare that's just shooting out of your, your ears, like, 
you got a problem, Vince. <laughs> like, you have no idea what's going on in their life. You have no idea what joy they're experiencing. Man, your response ought to be, wow, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that cool? If there's something creeping around in you that says, oh, that's weird, why would they do that? I'm going to tell you that's a flare that you gotta, you got to work on. That's all i got to say. So that's, that's the sermon on, on uh, Dave, Michael, David's ex-wife, or David's wife, not ex-wife. <laughs> David's wife who didn't have kids. Um, but David dances. He doesn't recite poetry. He doesn't, like, he doesn't do, he doesn't do a lot of things. There's a lot of things he could have done. He doesn't sit in a royal chair and kind of be part of the procession as king. He um, doesn't, I don't know what I would have done. I don't know what you would have done instinctively with that experience. But I think what we don't see in the scripture is what David was feeling in the presence of God. Right? Remember, he's bringing back the ark. We showed you the ark. It wasn't just the piece of furniture. It was the presence of God. When you're in the presence of God, where it's really manifest in a significant way, you feel it in a really significant way. And it's different. It's different for everyone. It, um, I've been in environments where the presence of God was, it's like, oh, God's here. This is beautiful. And then I've been in, in, in environments where God's presence was there, and I was like, I have to get on the ground. It's really, like, I feel the weight of God's presence. It's so overwhelming. You guys, if you, there's all the references in the Bible where, where an angel appears and people fall on the ground. They carry the presence of God. Like, the reaction to the presence of God for all of us is really different. Many of you probably have cried with the presence of God. Many of you have, may have, sh like, you just, you tremble. That's all of this is scripture. It's all in there. There's a lot of ways to react to his presence. David, in this moment, and I have to imagine that God's presence in the ark was similar, if not the same as, when he was in the ark with Moses, right? When he was in the ark with Moses and they're in Israel, the power is off the charts, They've been protected from an army of Egypt. They have food being provided for them daily. They have water being provided for them. They're guided by the fire. They're guided by the cloud. This is a profound manifestation of God eternal on earth. And his presence was felt so much so that when Moses would go into the tabernacle, all of Israel would stand and watch. That's not because it was a light thing. They felt the weight and the gravity of God. When Moses goes up the mountain, everyone stops and is afraid. None of them also wanted to go. They said, you go on our behalf. So there was, a, there was an experiential aspect to God's presence that all of Israel had that day. David watches that ark sit in someone's home for months, and their whole family is blessed. Favor comes on. So it's that same presence of God that's there that David goes back and he's recapturing, he's bringing the presence back home. David's reaction was a reaction of purity. It was a reaction that a one-year-old would have if a joyful song came on. Overwhelmed by this beautiful moment, so much so that there's no control and no concern. 
A two-year-old's really fun, too, because they're goofy and louder and bigger, and if they like it, they'll scream and shout and jump all around, and it's just joy. David had a purity about him to where when the presence of God was manifest, and he's standing next to it, he's overcome with, overwhelmed by joy. You don't dance because you're sad. We don't dance at funerals and go, let's have a slow, sad dance. Like, this is a bad moment. Let's, let's dance together to, like, celebrate this moment. You don't do that. That's not, you don't do that. You dance when you're happy. It's a very normal, natural expression of joy. But it's an extreme expression, and I really think it's interesting that Michael so quickly was like, that's, that's not good. Michael didn't have any children. Michael probably didn't have much joy. I think when we see people in God's presence and they're, they're touched by God, so oftentimes we're, we're quick to measure, assess, evaluate. If we're childlike, we're in that same presence, we're probably not even concerned. But if we're... If we're Maybe our ephod's not all white. Maybe the, this, the, the righteousness that David was clothed with in its completeness, right? Gave him full access to that presence of God, but everybody else had an opportunity maybe not to have that same reaction. Let's go to the next slide. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Um, I want to normalize biblical reactions to God's presence for us as a church. Okay? Dancing is an expression of joy. Like sitting quietly with your head down is, a, is, is okay in moments and seasons. But if we're actually experiencing the presence of God, um, I think there, we, have to, we have to have room and perspective for the whole version of a healthy, expressive life. So I think it's really easy for us as humans to say reverence is my preferred version of interaction with God. Because it requires no joy. It requires no hope. It just requires like obedience that I'm there. If I'm silent and I'm quiet and contained, it's the safest place for me to be. You guys remember like being, I remember being like a little kid and if I was really upset, I don't, I don't remember going running around shouting. I remember kind of going to my room and being quiet retreating almost, away from people in silence. I'm not expressing anything out. Nothing's coming in. It's a really in seemingly safe place. And I do think there's, there's value in it for us as a church to have reverence and, and physical expressions of reverence being part of our norm. You don't, you, you need all of yourself to connect with God. 
And I think that that's a part that I think most of us are pretty comfortable with and pretty good at. I say, go pray. You quiet down and you get into a corner and get into a place where it's you and you feel like you can connect. And most often it's, it's quieter and quieter and quieter. But there is this other version of connection with God that is the opposite extreme. So it's, it's over here. It's on the other side. That, was, that side was good. This side is also good. It's not good or bad. It's both and. And there's this side of expression with God where I'm, everything inside of me is coming out. I'm not holding it in anymore. And I'll tell you, this, this version is much, much, much more difficult for us because it requires, one, getting past ourselves as our own critics. I'll start, start there because so often the most powerful connection moments with God, they're not in church. They're when you're at home by yourself. That's really some of the most profound, deeply changing, life-changing moments. Maybe you're on a trail, maybe you're, on, maybe you're walking, maybe you're just you're by yourself. But even when it's just you, there's still you that's an audience to your behavior. And there's still this wiring in you that says there's a proper way to act, a proper way to, to function and interact with God. I wouldn't even say with God, I'd say we just interact with, with, with life. So when you were one years old, the littlest version of you that was kind of sitting up, maybe not quite wa- walking, and joyful music came on, I promised you bounced around a little bit. I promised you moved a little bit. I promised you smiled. Maybe at two you did the same thing, but for some of us as we became three, four, five, 12, 17, we learned that those expressions aren't home here. Those expressions either aren't normal or they're not celebrated or maybe they just make everyone a little uncomfortable. Particularly as you get into your teenage years and college years, your awareness of everyone else in the room really starts to raise. So maybe home life was good, but when you got off on your own or you're in other environments, your awareness of how everyone else is interacting with you just started to take a bigger and bigger place. It's totally normal. That's a normal thing. However, God has designed us in a way where he's like, I want you to worship me when you're in my presence. Worship involves reverence where it's quiet and no one can judge me and no one, myself included, can be critical of the way I'm like... I'm going to use the word manifesting, like expressing. Say it expressing. Let's use expressing. No one could be critical of me expressing if I'm just quiet and and reverent and I'm, I'm talking in purity of heart towards God. However, when I come over here and I, let's pick one, shout, shout, man, anyone near me has the opportunity then to be part of what's going on. It sparks all of the self-assessment. It also sparks all of those feelings that you had as a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 15-year-old, 20-year-old, where it's like, I care about what people think about me. I care if this is proper. I care if I'm in the right place. I care if this is received well. 
you're not, and you know if you're doing it in worship, you're really shouting to him, but there's this, this obvious, loud, violent thing that happens when it's outside of this little version of myself that brings everyone in the room into my process. God has designed us and asked us to do this. David was able to, not just in his room by himself or in a field with sheep, he was able to in front of all the people of Israel, everyone that mattered to him. He was able with an, with an absolute abandon to the point where even his wife, he comes home, the most intimate person, the one that valued him the most and he valued the most. If you remember the story, he went after her because it was really something he wanted. It was, it was owed to him because of his relationship with Saul and Jonathan and all these people, but the truth was, this was the one he'd always, this was his dream. She stood and said, what you're doing isn't good. And what comes out of him is, is a whole nother kind of response. It's, I'm here with God face to face. I'm up here. What you're saying is, is from down here. It's not me being taller than you or bigger than you. It's me understanding that God's value for me shouting and dancing is so much greater than my value for your approval. But it's really, really, really hard to be okay with living up here. But I'm telling you guys, all of you are going to dance soon. I promise. Because his presence is going to come in a way where you're provoked to do it. It's not a performance thing. But there's something that's going to start to happen where God challenges you personally to connect with him in a public space, knowing that it's, it's outside now. What's in me is coming out. And I have to turn my own like filters off. And I have to agree that this is a good thing. I was... Um, gosh, how old was I? I was probably 20 to 20... 20s, 20s. Um, it was the time. It was the time of like renewal. If you guys, re you guys don't remember it, but um, the time of renewal. So like there was Toronto's revival. There was this Brownsville revival. What it, what the experience was like, and, and the church I was at started to have a lot of the same things. So we had normally it was a church of about 300. We had like 700 people showing up within the course of a couple months because his presence was super strong. That's all it was. We didn't do anything different. All of a sudden, at every service, his presence was really strong. You felt it. You walked in the door, you're like, whoa, this is, this is different. It's really different. All of a sudden, all these people started showing up. And um, I was in the mode and habit for years of every service. I'd come to the service and I'd go, okay, God, what do you want me to do today? 90 times out of 100, it was like, Okay, just raise your hands and worship. But there was years where, like, raise your hands and worship meant a lot to me in terms of conflict because I was an insecure little guy. So raising my hands meant the people around me saw me raising my hands. That was uncomfortable. 
That, that was a process I had to go through where I, I, I obeyed him to raise my hands. You say, why do you raise your hands? Well, and the priests, when they walked into the tabernacle, they'd raise their hands. It's like part of the sacrifice, the waving of the hands, the waving of the offering. It's a, it's a biblical pattern. There's, in the Old Testament, it talks about raising your hands is like, um, with, like being, having your hands on a plow. And so the idea is that the plows were things where in the old days, the cow would, or ox or something would pull it, but it, it, as you raise your hands, the teeth of the plow go deeper into the ground. So there's this like imagery around like the depth of your worship, whatever is connected to the, this act. It's an act. It's a, it's a physical movement. It's super simple. Can you all do that with me really quick? Almost. We're almost all there. I'm like, come on. Come on, Jim. Yeah, there we go. Okay. All right, you can put them down. <laughs> so it's like, it's not a big deal, right? Just to do that. Like we, we, we've done that before. That's not a big deal. This isn't like some weird trigger, all of a sudden we shift into like spiritual realm. This is just a movement. Like I raise my hands like, hello, that's a thing. It's not a big deal, but something changes when I do that act in worship where there's, there's like, there's weight to it. There's something behind it. It's an act of worship. So the idea is I'm lifting my hands in worship to God. I don't know why. It's something he designed. It's something that's patterned for us in the Bible. Same thing with dancing. I don't know why. It's something that he's designed. It's something that he's patterned over many, many years and many generations of this is a version of worship to me. Well, so I was in the pattern of for years going, okay, God, I'm here on Sunday. What are we doing? And I was, I was really working on just hearing his voice and responding to his voice. And so it really most of the time came in worship for me. Well, one Sunday... He goes, I want you to go down to the front. Okay, that's not cool. <laughs> I'm just going to tell all of you it's not cool. It's not fun. It's not fun. I'd sit back there in the back. He goes, I want you to go stand up at the front during worship. Like, that's not cool. Like, but I did it. I walked up to the front, and worship's going on. Like, I'm not going up, like, looking for attention. I just, I walk up, and I'm right here. He goes, raise your hands. Okay, I'm here. And the whole church is behind you, right? And so you just feel like, well, they're all watching me. This is, I'm weird now. I'm the weird one. So raise your hands. And I, for about five minutes, felt like my body was being thrown all around the altar. Like, I, I felt like I had no control over myself. I just was almost like I was observing my body being pulled this way and then pulled that way. And then the song stopped and it stopped. And he goes, okay, good job. Go back to your seat. I went back to my seat. I was like, that was really weird. <laughs> that was really intense. But I really felt him and I really felt him like moving me, physically moving me. Afterwards, my buddy came up to me. He goes, man, I didn't know you could dance. I was like, oh. I didn't, I didn't know that's what I was doing either. I guess I don't, I wasn't, I just, I'll tell you, I wasn't in control. I wasn't in control, but I was yielded and I came down. And it was, it was as if he was just moving me around, absolutely moving me around. It's one of the most profound, life-changing, odd, but amazing experiences of my life. It was real. I've never done it again. 
never, it's never happened again like that. I've danced, but not, that was me dancing. It was him kind of taking over and shaking me up, but me being yielded. And I would, I would say at least once a year ever since then, so for 20, 25 years later, he brings it to mind and just reminds me of how beautiful it was to him. And I turn around and go, how beautiful it was to me. Because you were, it was you and me. And that wasn't the, the audience disappeared, right? In, in truth, guys, there was never an audience. It was him and me. And when we come to church on Sundays and we have an opportunity to worship, there's no audience. It's a, it's a divinely designed forum where his presence is here and it's for you and him. But his presence comes in a way because all of us are here doing the same thing in the same spirit where we're just turning to him and we're saying, God, what do you want from me today? And I'll tell you that joy is an earmark of his presence. It's not always laughter, but there's, there's a lightness of heart, a hope, a freedom of person and expression that is there when you have a child. And I just want to caution all of us. We need to regularly, all of us, myself included, regularly revisit our childlikeness and ask ourselves, are we becoming heart of heart to the point where our worship or life choices are limited because we were desensitized by either propriety, perceived understanding, perceived maturity, or maybe if we're honest, that, that thing is just creeping back in from when we were young and we care too much about what other people think. Or maybe even ourselves, we're down on ourselves. We have to revisit that over and over and over again. Because a life lived without reflection on my childlikeness is a life that will never allow you to connect with God in pure worship. You'll connect with God. He's gracious. He's good. The beauty of God is that regardless of how aware you are of all these things, he with his grace like overshadows you and comes and meets you where you're at. But I'm, I'm advocating for a group of people that are maturing with great expediency towards deep connection with God in worship. A prerequisite is childlikeness. A prerequisite is nothing matters but me honoring and celebrating the presence that I'm in. And so David did it, and all of the people of Israel did it alongside of him. And here's this beautiful thing, this moment, and this is absolutely true. If you, in obedience to a prompt in your spirit, raise your hands on a Sunday, what you've done in faith is you've just responded to, a, to God and his Holy Spirit, and you've denied the other voices that have said, no, you shouldn't do that. The other voices might be a whole array of things, but what you're doing is you're, you're acting in victory like David acted in victory when he danced. And it opens the door for everyone here to also experience God's presence in a more profound way. And so you say, well, what's my responsibility on Sundays? I want, to, I want to be a part. I want to contribute. If you could come on Sundays, every Sunday, with a sensitivity of heart and say, God, 
I'm clothed in your righteousness. You know, forgive me for my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for making me whole. But I'm, I know because of your blood, I'm clothed in your righteousness. That's all. We don't need to spend more time on it than that every Sunday. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Now, I want to worship you absolutely free. Like, with absolute freedom, without any hindrance between me and you. If you do that, you're going to open doors for people to be absolutely radically changed in this place. It's God's presence. It's God turning when a heart is turned towards him in freedom, in childlikeness, and him saying, let's surround that one with all the reinforcements they could ever need. And then they'll go with you when you leave, but they're here when you're here, and we all benefit from it. Because it's like, she's doing it, she's doing it. I'm going to be here, and I'm the angel, of course, because I look like an angel. And, and it's like, oh, we're so proud of her. Look at she's worshiping so well. We're here to support her. And then all of a sudden, he's like, oh, this guy doesn't seem so bad. Let's help him, too. <laughs> and it's because of her faithfulness that he is touched and changed. And he's given an opportunity, and he's given freedom in a way that he would never have had before because you are free. You're free, and you're courageous. And you're doing what David did. You're shouting, maybe. Or maybe you're dancing. But you're just, it's anything. It's all, let's keep going. I want to I look at Psalms 33. The sound of the trumpet, obviously that's really big and bold. We're going to look at Psalms 33 really quick. I want to, over the next course of however long, I want to give us really simple like permission, permission to worship well. I know we have good hearts in this room. I know we have desire towards connection with God and guidance and healing and all these good things. Fundamentally, we have to be really uh, educated and obedient worshipers. And then it's, it's, it's gloves off. Who knows what good things will start happening? Um, Anytime you, you can pick any psalm, you can pick almost any psalm and you can find keys and ways to, to either understand and think about God or physically how to do it. This is a really good one, Psalm 33. I've broken this down like phrase by phrase and I'd encourage you guys when you read psalms, don't blow through them, slow down, pay attention to the words. So here we go, Psalms 33, rejoice, say rejoice. rejoice. All right, that's a command. That's a directive. That's not a suggestion. That's a, hey, you should do this. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Rejoice is, is a celebra celebration, joy-filled celebration. Let's, I don't know. Let's, don't overcomplicate it. Celebrate in the Lord. Let's, let, that's what you're supposed to do. O you righteous. All of you are righteous because you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. He's put that white ephod on you, so you're qualified to rejoice just like everybody else. Okay, let's go. Next one. Praise befits the upright. I like this. This is, a, this is <laughs> I love it. The Bible's fun. It makes you dig into it. How often do you use the word befit? Hopefully, anybody this week? Nope, me neither. I have never used it in my life. Um, so praise befits the upright. If I was to translate this, I would say praise looks good on the upright. It's, it's, a, it's like a facial expression that's fitting someone who is upright. 
befits. Praise looks good on you. Pretty simple. It's, it's the appropriate action and activity for those who are upright. It would be weird if you didn't have praise in your life and you're upright. If there's not praise in your world and you're a righteous person, I'd probably ask if you're a righteous person. It's actually really odd that you don't praise all the time and you're upright. That's what this is saying. Upright, what does that mean? There's another one we don't use all that often. Um, I have in parentheses there straightway. Okay, this is the depth of our Bible study this week. This is, this is we're going to nerd out a little bit on this. Upright, righteous. Um, this word, if you look at how the word's designed, the idea is it's the fastest point between two, two dots. Upright, the fastest path between two things. Straightway is another translation for it. That's a other weird word we, none of us use. But it's, if you think about it, I've got to get to dawn. There's the fastest version is straight there. If I, you know, just float over the pews and everything, it's straight there. Righteousness and upright. So the, the, the idea I want you guys to take from this when I talked earlier about we are oriented towards God and God in turn and heaven in turn comes and they look on us and they say, how can we support? How can we participate? How can we be a part? That orientation towards God is a direct thing. It's where my heart, my mind, my will, my emotions, they're all turned in a direct line to him. And everything else orients with me towards around this direction of my life. So saying here that we're upright is we're saying that the people whose lives are oriented in a way that it is the fastest route between them and God in all things. Not the alternative. The alternative is very Normal, but it's something we graduate from with maturity. The alternative is we orient ourselves towards God's ways in all of the things we're doing that allow us to see and be in connection with him. We choose to allow compromise into our life so that the connection, the direct nature of our interaction with God is a lower priority than these other choices and these other things. So it's not that we are disconnected from God, it's that we don't prioritize his direct connection with us above all else. And so if we're upright, it's, it's as if everything has to facilitate me being closer to him. Nothing that compromises that direct connection, the straightest path between me and him is permissible because righteousness, my rightness with him, my closeness to him is the highest of priorities above all, all else. There's nothing else that gets in there. And so for the person who's oriented that way, who's, who's actually like dissecting their life saying, does this make sense? 
is this pattern, are these people, are these practices of value towards my connection with God? Or are they just activities, practices, and things that fill time, fill someone else's expectation, or maybe are proper in our culture and society? All of those things are, are disregarded for my connection with God being the ultimate of priorities. For that person, praise is just how they ought to look. Praise is a celebration of God. If we talk about worship versus praise, praise is the part where we lift up a trumpet and we celebrate the goodness and great works of him. You say, well, I'm not a very happy person, Vince. I don't like to be happy. I have a lot of hard things in my life. I have a lot of reasons to be sad and down and heavy. I'd like you to help me with that. How can you help me with that? This is how I can help you with that is to understand if you reprioritize all the activities, all the things, all your orientations, the way you think, the way you practice around, does this get me to God the fastest? You're going to find that suddenly praise is just showing up in every, every part of you. It's a natural, normal look for you. It's a beautiful thing. And so you're just naturally celebrating. You're naturally joyful you're naturally, it's just on you. It's an easy expression. You g giggle and you laugh because you are just full of his life. Music turns on and you start bouncing. Instead of going, oh, Christian music came on. I got to go. Like, like, I got to kneel. <laughs> Stop looking at me. Because I don't want to be seen. Like, it, like my... My idea of God, my practice with God, is one of solemnity and, and like recluse. Because there's not really joy in it. There's not really praise in it. It's more an obedience thing. I'll tell you the reason. It's because maybe you're not quite upright. Maybe you're a little bent over. Maybe you're not quite straight way. There's just enough that's crept in to where it's like, I got a lot of concerns. I've got a lot of cares. Everything is, is clouding my ability just to be purely connected to him. It's a simple math. Let's start to declutter our life. Let's start to make room for that connection being the highest of high priorities. I think someone told you guys holiness is hot a couple weeks ago. Yeah. That, that is a real wise... Hashtag holiness is hot, or hot is holy, holy is hot, what did you, holy is hot. That, that is, it's beautifully true. It's up, it's the straightest path, because the second I let things that aren't holy in, and I engage, I know my path to him just got longer. You guys know, you know, you know when you watch a movie and you're like, okay, I'm going to go pray now, you're like, oh, I got to get that movie out of my system first. It just, it's here. <laughs> it's like, ugh. Or maybe it's like, you're like, I got to get Dawn out of my system. He, like, I, yeah, yeah, so that's what she was about. She's like, I got to go pray, but I got to get Dawn out of my system first. Spent so much time with him this week. You got to clean up, right? Thanks, Dawn. <laughs> it, it's just, it, there's, there's a huge value, and we often think, well, it's, you know, what, 
it's really fun being holy. It's really fun, like, giving up stuff. It's really fun, like, spending more time in worship and prayer. Like, I don't see the reason. Like, why would I? It just feels, doesn't feel like the biggest version of life. I just, I'd flip the question around and go, are you joyful? And you go, mm -mm. if you're truthful, you know, if I could just cut through all of your semantics, I go, are you joyful? Are you a joyful person? Like 85% of the time, 95% of the time, 0% of the time? Tell me, how are we doing? 100? You go, I, got, I don't really even know what joy means. Like, I don't know. I've never felt that sincerely. I've laughed. I go, well, okay. Let's get to the basics of setting ourselves up to where it's just me and Jesus. Let's feed that, that closeness. Let's take every step we know how to take. And let's see if joy doesn't start showing up. And then tell me a couple months later when you start to experience and feel joy if the exchange was worth it. Was it worth giving up or prioritizing away from these things so that I could have more of a straight linear path to him? You're going to feel lighter. You're going to feel freer. And you're going to start behaving like David when you're in his presence. Let's go to the next one. Ah, oh, all right. I want to just go through this list. I think this is funny. This is great. So this is the scripture, and I gave you pictures because I didn't, I don't, maybe some of you knew what these are. It says, this is all Psalms 33. So go, let's go back two slides. I want to read it in, in like, so rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits or looks good on the upright. All right, so we have those directions, and it says, now praise the Lord with the leer. Okay, I'm just going back to what, what makes sense and feels good. I think it's really important we understand God has designed us in a way to do things that he values. This is something he values. Has anyone ever played a leer? Okay, I, I don't know. I've never even seen one of these things. But it's, it's a, like a real rudimentary old-style guitar kind of a thing. It's like six strings. Uh, how many strings? I can't even see it. You get the picture. It's a really like a little mini guitar you'd hold in your lap. Think for a second. God, God who created all this, thinks playing that thing is valuable to him. It's a really odd but interesting thing to just absorb for a minute. If you sit and practice the leer, you're giving time to perfecting sounds coming out of a string device. It's not that special, if you're honest, about what, what this practice is. I think most of us would say it's not very industrious, you're not going to reap much fruit out of playing something like that. You don't get food. You don't get water. You don't get shelter. There's no physical help it's giving to someone else, at least in the natural. You're, you're making sounds. You're making sounds. And maybe you're really, really good at it, and people go, hey, that sounds nice. God says that's one of the things you can do to celebrate my goodness. It's so, so different, guys, than what you're naturally inclined to doing. Go to the next one. So he gives us the lyre, and he gives us the harp. You guys ever played one of these things? No. No harp players here. 
All right, me either. It's the same thing, it's just bigger. And it's, it's even more kind of inconvenient. It's a, it's a massive instrument that you sit down and you stay in one place and you make sounds with it. Okay, go to the next one. Sing to him a new song. Okay. All right, so highlighting those first two really quick. So God, in his wisdom, he says it's good if, if instruments are played. You guys have a lot of responsibility, right? Like a lot of life responsibility. You have bills to pay. You have clothes to put on in the morning. Sometimes you want to put new ones on, so you've got to go work to get more clothes. You guys, there's this cycle that you're on where you've got a lot of responsibility. How much time are you giving to things like a lyre or a harp? How much, because you know, you know what it is, right? It's kind of a childlike, simple activity that you know you loved when you were a little kid. Kind of circling back to the little kids bounce around and dance when music comes on. I would su suggest most of you probably don't have a really high value for doing things like playing music. Because time-wise, it seems less than. But there's something about pouring water on a garden that's made up of things that grow childlikeness in your life that God says is really, really good. Instruments are really, really just fun things that we do. They sound cool. They're really, like, it's really fun when, when instruments are played well together. But it's one of the most childlike things we have. From the very beginning of life, they say to put, like, baby Einstein, what is it, like classical music? They say play music for little babies. It makes them smarter. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, I got five of them. They'll have a lot of music in their life. But they say play music because it's, it's something in us that's designed for connection with those sounds. At what point in your life did you, like, take the trailer of childlike activities and detach it from your vehicle and kept driving with, like, I can go faster now. I can get further, I can go like much, I can go on harder roads because I am mature now and all the childlike things that I used to do, I don't have time for them and that's like a point of pride because now I read books on economics, <laughs> whatever you do. Who are you if you're not childlike anymore? You're not the best version of yourself. David, in all of his wisdom he had achieved at this point in his life, he'd, he'd won battles for the Lord. He'd lived on his own in, in, in hiding with the Lord. He'd walked with God through crazy circumstances and seen God come and do wondrous miracles. And he says things like, play the harp, play the lyre, celebrate with childlike face, joyful face, the goodness of God. And if it's foreign to you, I want to first say it's okay, but we have to rediscover, starting now, how we can be childlike again. What instruments he's designed you to play that allow you to regain your childlikeness and celebrate him and life from a place of absolute purity and just, I love being alive. Love being alive.
It says, sing to him a new song. This is one of the most important scriptures I have in the whole Bible. Sing to him a new song. If you can understand what this, this means and it, it sinks into you, this will follow you every day of your life for the rest of your life and it will change you. It means exactly what it says. There's nothing in the Greek or Hebrew that's going to enlighten you here. Sing a new, say new. So that's not old, not someone else's song. Little babies start singing in their crib when they're little. Baby, baby, babies. Our little kids, we love listening to them when they're like, Magnolia's doing it now, where we'll hear her wake up and then you'll hear her in here. Blah, 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 blah. And then Harley's a little louder. She'll be like, blah, 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 blah. But they all, and Violet is seven, and she sings all the time. They sing all the time. They make up their own words. It's in them to do. Something happens to you when you start peeling off the layers of childlikeness, and you start deciding that, what I think of myself and what other people think of me matters. Where this type of song disappears from your life. Where should this show up? This should show up all the time. You should hear yourself singing songs in your spirit if you're healthy all the time. But I'll tell you, you have to feed yourself this pattern that we're talking about where it's like, Straightway, me and God, that's the priority. I, I'm trying to turn to him in all my ways, and then I'm giving room for things like the lyre, the harp, the guitar, the piano, whatever. Pick an instrument. Pick a playful, joyful thing that really is of no value to many, but it's of value to you because it brings you into a childlike, joyful place. And you realize that God in his wisdom loves looking down at you as a child, even in your adulthood, and seeing the joy show up in your heart. And so this is a command, sing to him a new song. How it can show up for you is you're in your car and you stop filtering your own behavior and you let yourself sing out loud. I'm telling you that process where it's like, Michael, David's wife, or David with the tabernacle, we have to turn Michael off completely. We have to be vigilant against Michael. And Michael's right in here at times, right in here. We have to rewire ourselves to where I love hearing myself sing and rejoice because he loves hearing me sing and rejoice. And what it does is it opens up a door and gives you permission to begin to sing out of a place of creativity and purity that God is waiting to hear. He says, sing to me a new song. He can't wait to hear you sing whatever's in your heart about him. And if you're upright, it's going to be celebratory of him. You're going to find yourself saying, you're so good. You're so good. You're going to find yourself humming melodies. You're going to wake up in the morning with beautiful songs in your mind. Not anxiety and stress and torment. 
It's, it's a new childlikeness that God's inviting us to, but I'll, I'll tell you, that's what qualified David at the height of his maturity and strength to be chosen as the one that God would forever preserve his line. It wasn't because he was so book smart. It wasn't because he was so excellent in all of his ways. There was a heart in him that was able to connect with his presence, God's presence, and sing a new song, dance, play an instrument. These were all things that we see David doing and it's, it's fundamental to who you're supposed to be. Let's go. Is there another one? I think there's a couple more. Play skillfully on the strings. Okay. There's another one. Skillfully. And with loud shouts. And I think, is that the last one? That's the last one. Um, they basically, in Psalms 33, so if you, if you are... Take a note, Psalms 33, just four, chapter, four verses. That's all we covered this morning. These are things God's directed us to do. These are versions of praise and worship that God has said, these are, these are really keys to one, celebrating me, but also you being the ultimate version of you. And so when we think about David and we think about ourselves, I want to just challenge you guys, childlikeness, will lead you into greater expressions of worship than you've ever had. I really, really want to pull you guys forward to the point where you can have that experience I did one day, where God's doing all kinds of crazy stuff with you. You go, well, it's a distraction. Just listen. We'll forgive you if it is. <laughs> it's okay. Like, it doesn't matter. We're, this, this is, we're a small family. It's good. It's good. What I expect to start seeing is more shouting. I expect to start seeing more of you raising your hands. I expect to start seeing you more of you kneel in the, the solemnness, right? This is good. I want to make sure you hear this. This quiet, careful version is beautiful and important. But I, I want to see that because that's also a response that's different than just standing and singing along. And I also want to see more of this version over here that's, that's shouting, celebrating the goodness of God, that's laughing and dancing. I'm spitting. I spit all over you. I'm sorry. But like, I, like the full version, right? I just, you have to, one, challenge yourself towards the full expression. Don't manufacture it. Don't come in next Sunday and like have a list. I'm going to do all these things. On, like, it's like people are running up and down and jumping. Like, I don't want to, you know, it's not that. It's just... I've got to get, I've got to move out of this moment because I know that in moving out of this moment, I'm going to connect with him in a way I haven't in this routine I've been in. And knowing that it's our heroes that came before us that did this and realizing that's how they had their victory over their crazy circumstances. They maintained childlikeness, they worshiped passionately, and they could feel God's presence and their purity allowed them to respond in ways that influenced the whole nation. Really, really good. Really, really good. I want you guys to feel free in your worship. I want you to feel empowered when you worship. Don't be self-conscious. Silence those voices. Um, be expressive. Be more expressive in worship than you are in life. I think that's really healthy.
I don't think you should go into work and start shouting and, and celebrating and cheering like, like, a, like a wild person necessarily. But I think church is a really good place for it. I think it's a really appropriate place for it. I think God has done that kind of work in your life. And I want you guys to have permission to redefine yourself. You go culturally or historically, that's just not who I am. The fullest version of you includes this. There's no version of you that's not like this. Maybe it's not all the time, and obviously some are more expressive than others, but I have to tell you, the fullest version of you is when the presence of God is there, you react like a child. You're free like a child. You're joyful, you're emotional, you're, you're happy, you're, you're expressive, you're celebratory. That is the first, that's the first way he designed you, and it's the fullest version of you. And we, we got to kind of fight all of that other gunk off of us. Because our culture is heavy. Our lives are, like, there's a lot of pressure and anxiety and stress here. None of that is, is none of that looks good on you, right? Praise looks good on you. Praise looks good on you. So I want you guys to look better next week. That's my whole goal. <laughs> this is all we're here for. I want you to look good coming in and look better going out. All right? I love you guys. I'm, I'm proud to be worshiping with you. Um, take this to heart. Like, be bold, be, be brave in your worship, and God will meet you in that. So let, me, let me pray. Let's stand up. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your calling on each person in this room to be mighty worshipers, that they'd be Psalms 33 worshipers, where they would praise, and, and praise would be their known expression. Celebration would be the known expression on their faces. Give them courage in their uprightness so they could be more straight in their path to you. Their hearts could turn to you in, in more and more direct ways. Give them wisdom in shutting things down and turning other things on. And God, we pray as a church that your Holy Spirit would come in greater measure and that we would be more sensitive to it, that our hearts would be like David's so that we could, we could respond so beautifully to you that you and heaven would turn in awe of the beautiful expression of gratitude and and praise that we have as a family. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, in. We invite your, your spirit of conviction to come to help us clean up and straighten up. We invite your spirit of childlikeness. We pray that the things that are on us that are not things that give us more freedom and more joy, that we could just set at your feet. We could set at your feet. I want you guys uh, just to put your hands out in front of you. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit anything uh, in your life that you need to hand over to him, that he'd show it to you, and you'd put it in your hands and just hand it to him. Whether it's pain in the past that's just causing heaviness over you, so we can just hand that over once and for all today. Whether it's self-criticism that's kind of constraining who you are in your worship and your joyfulness and your freedom. And I'd, I'd also like you guys just to ask God to show you a picture of yourself full of joy. What do I look like if my joy meter's at 100? What does my face look like?
Father, I want you just to remind each one here that joy is how you've designed them. Praise is how you've designed them. And so we ask for an increase in our celebration as a family. I pray that you would just break off the years of heaviness. You'd break off the inheritance of heaviness and solemnness. And God, in exchange, you'd give us great joy, great hope and great celebration. It looks good on us. And so we ask, Father, that you would remind us daily of who we are. You'd remind us of how we look with joy, and you'd help us get there. You'd help us get there daily, and we as a church, that the joy meter would go up and up and up. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Love you. Happy Sunday.